Welcome back, listeners, to the Week in Horror podcast. We hope everyone has an amazing and safe Halloween this upcoming Saturday. This week, we're covering October 25th through the 31st. Thank you all so much for joining us. I'm Alex, and with me, as always, is J.O. and Eugene. How's it going, everyone? What's up, everybody? Hello! Yo! <laughs> yes. Hello! <laughs> awesome. We're also so privileged to have an amazing industry guest, a couple of industry guests with us this week. Um... We've got the founder of Dark Fable Media, the director of Exit Plan, and the co-hosts of the horror oh, hit hosts. Oh, co-directors. Co-directors, co-directors of, of... See, there's too many hosts in this script. <laughs> as well as the upcoming Dirge, director and DP Richard Oakes, and also with us is... Director Adam Leader. Thanks, Joe. You're welcome, <laughs> sir. We love you, Alex. We didn't actually get to get formally introduced before the show. Adam, how you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Good, good. Thanks. Good, good, good. Okay, so, uh, so basically, so we have Richard and we have Adam with us. And first of all, it's very nice to meet you. <laughs> this is the first time we've done two. We've done two on the show at one time. Uh, I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm. Open, I'm expanding my horizons. <laughs> two at the same time. Two at hey, the same time. What would you do time, with a million dollars, Jo? Two at the same time. <laughs> awesome. And you guys are joining us from the other side of the world. So we're we're looking at about 7.30 p.m. here. You guys are well into the night over there, huh? Yeah, I'm just tucking myself in at the moment. Just <laughs> getting ready to go. I'm sitting here um, at 1.24 in the morning um, having a very British evening with a cup of tea. Cup so. of tea. <laughs> uh-huh. That's how I end my nights, too. I'm just like, British the nap, fellas. <laughs> Now you take that, take that right there, what he just said, a very British evening with a cup of tea, and then you compare that to the guy who brought us the movie Hosts. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a a cognitive dissonance between those two. It's it's a work-life balance, J.O. You gotta separate the two. Either that or a split personality disorder. You know, it's it's one of them. You know what? Hey, whatever it is, we're glad to have you here. (laughs) <laughs> happy to be here absolutely and and a huge huge congratulations to both of you on the success of hosts um i freaking loved it i've seen i've seen it more times than i probably you know you know should have but i i loved it and i i had to show it to my wife i had to show it to my friend um really 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 excellent work and uh, we are going to dive into that when we get to uh dive a bit deeper into that when we get to our after dark session but um uh, we've got movies to talk about, as Alex likes to say. So, uh, Eugene, uh, what do we have up first? Oh yes, I've actually I've actually been waiting to talk about this film because it is a great, it's a good bad film, which is some of my like favorite types of films. And so we got released October twenty sixth, two thousand and two. I'm sorry, October twenty fifth, two thousand and two. We have the movie Ghost Ship. Woo! Yes, it was directed by Steve Beck. And it stars Julianne Margulis. <laughs> I'm hoping, I'm hoping I got that right. Oh, please don't sue me. Uh, and then Ryan, Ron Elward, Desmond Harrington, and Isaiah Washington. And basically, you have it's a cruise ship that is adrift in basically drift out in the ocean, and a couple scavengers, a couple scavengers go and find the ship, and they start diving looking for a supposed gold treasure. And basically, all of a sudden, they board the ship, and then a bunch of like bunch of shit goes crazy. 
<laughs> and it, goes cra- it goes crazy. <laughs> and, it's, and it's Juliana Margulies. The good wife is going to come after your ass. Oh, she's oh, oh she's, she's an attorney too. Oh man, <laughs> demonetized. Now, now, this, now this was awesome because when we were putting this together, we know I know that Richard. This this is your first time seeing this movie. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so first I've got impressions. To get, I've got, like from okay from from your perspective, I've got to get we've got to get that takeaway because th- this one this one can throw you for your loop if you're not expecting it. I mean it it was it was fun. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean good but <laughs> i think the term good bad movie really fits this one after that i wasn't bored um but it, it kind of kind of kept going in you know in a, in a way that just i found funny and especially the ending with with the blue floating people <laughs> <laughs> that's one way to put it yeah that's one thing. That's that's the that was the one killer. I did love the one thing I love most about Ghost Ship, just despite its flaws, was that the movie never took itself so seriously that it this this was it was a carnage flick. It was kind of a slasher flick, and that's what it wanted to be. So it knew what it wanted, and it was it, and that was pretty much it. Yeah, you, know, you take it or leave it, and, and I can respect a, a film for uh for you know for for that at least that honesty. But there was great stuff in it. Like I I, I enjoyed the cinematography. The set design was great. Um, there were some really, really good things in it, like um, some good um, set pieces going on. But yeah, there were some terrible kind of little bits that happened, like when the the word thing, like rejiggered to like like welcoming or something. I can't remember what it was or something creepy, and it was just like, oh, it's that kind of film. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really did. You brought that up because the set design was was really impressive. That's because. Early in the production, they were they were trying to find obviously ghost ships, so they were trying to find ships to friggin' shoot on, and you know, shooting on an actual ship is actually is really problematic just because of how they're designed and movement of the movement of a camera system, would, you know, especially with what they were trying to do, would have been very very difficult. So they actually brought in Photon VFX, which was the uh, the FX company behind Scooby Doo. And they had them pretty much handle everything, and they did CGI, animation, miniatures, live action stuff, prosthetics, pyrotechnics, everything. They handled uh, everything under one umbrella, and so, and the, I thought that was very impressive because typically you use miniatures, you use CGI, you you can kind of you can kind of tell, and, and it can take you out of a picture. But this was really seamless. I have to give them props for that. Yeah, no, the, the set design was perfect. You say about Scooby Doo, I'm just wondering. If they did the script as well, but like <laughs> type of thing, those pesky kids again. But yeah, no, the set design and the cinematography, the lighting was all pretty good. Um, so it, it wasn't a bad film in that like production value and stuff. It was, you know, especially for the time, I, I enjoyed that. Um, so it didn't feel like kind of low budget. So yeah, it was like I said, it's enjoyable. I, I had a fun time with it. Oh, it's I think pleasure. Honestly, I think when I first saw this, because this came out in '02, and the kind of running joke here is I'm I'm the baby of the group. I was born in '90s, so in '02 I was 12. I don't think I saw this movie until I was probably 14 <laughs> years old. But the the first couple minutes of this movie, no matter what happened after the first part of this movie, I was hooked in because of the first. And I think. Besides, like, you know, your your 
you know, Friday the 13th, Halloween, slasher movies. This was probably one of the most gory openings to a movie that I've ever seen before <laughs> at that time period in my life. So when, when you start this movie up, as most of you know, in the first five minutes of this movie, it's showing a ship full of people, they're partying, and then it shows some some equipment and the equipment starts to fail. And the end result is a, uh, a metal wire, a big thick metal wire that's holding up something on the ship. Some things break and this wire gets pulled across the entire crowd of people. And then for a moment, everything's quiet. That shows everybody's face. Like you said, the cinematography in this particular part of the movie was just, it was so suspenseful that you're looking at it like, oh my gosh, like what happened? Is everybody dead? Everybody looks surprised. And then the people start falling apart. And I was like, oh shit. <laughs> and the, but still the whole, I, the, I, I couldn't get over the rest of the rest. Of, I had to watch the rest of the movie the whole time. I was thinking about the first five minutes of this movie though. Yeah. But there's still moments where there's an arm that's not attached to a body that's reaching out towards the. It was when it was that it was the dude who got who got cut who got caught in the midsection. He gets caught in half. The image of him crawling, because <laughs> yeah. it's you know 2002, <laughs> and uh, I was just, I was just like I was like it, that was impressive. Just you know, and, and I, you know what I know now is a pretty simple effect to pull off. But I mean, that looked good, and of course, the dude who got who you know, the, the captain who got caught in the mouth, yeah, and like that, and just you know, <laughs> kind of the head going forward and everything. It it blew my mind. I was it's not what you expect in the level of carnage that early in the film. It it's very reminiscent, very similar to um you know Alvarez and what he did in what Fidi Alvarez did in Evil Dead. Because the Evil Dead, you know, everybody was kind of, fit, you know, like 50-50. You know, oh, they're bringing Evil Dead back. There's no Bruce Campbell. What's going on? It's not even Sam Raimi directing. But that first five minutes, I saw that, and my jaw was on the floor. That's Just of the girl in the basement with the uh, the whole, that whole sequence. I was like, holy fuck. That's one and, film that, that both Rich and I think is incredible. for. Oh, yeah. I love that. Oh, it's yeah. favorite horrors in the last couple of years, I think. it's It's really good. I mean, it's still it's a couple of years old now, but I've seen only saw it this year, and I was like, "Wow, <laughs> really there, there, there are times I will go back and just I just like you know I'm in the mood. I'm going to go back and just watch that intro. I'm going to watch that opening mm. because the rest of it is is you know part for the course. But that one just every how they how he captured that was so brilliant. Just you know, it grabs you. It doesn't let go. And it's so funny because the you know the you know the fans loved it. We all you know rejoiced in it, but the critics hit it so hard. You know, for, for, for whatever reasons that Don't Breathe, his next film, Don't Breathe, was like his response to that, which is why everything that occurs in, in Evil Dead doesn't occur in Don't Breathe. But I still like, that film as well. We watched that the other night. <laughs> the suspense is crazy in that. Dude, oh, that that's um freaking, oh, oh, God, Stephen Lang. Oh, Stephen Lang. Ever since I saw him in Avatar, actually, you know, because yeah, I saw him in Tombstone. When he was when he was like clan, but when he was in uh, when he was in Avatar, and he's like the badass, and he's like he's like oh, he's like having a conversation. And the dude's on fire. He's like, like I don't I don't have time to be on fire. <laughs> like oh my god, <laughs> it surprised me. But there's there's stuff he does with the movement of his body and don't breathe, and the way he punches and stuff is so methodical. Like it's 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 a really interesting performance, and I find him so compelling to watch in that film. Absolutely brilliant. 
And unfortunately, you know, we have we have poked fun a little bit. And for, uh, for those listening, we poked a little bit of fun, but uh, at Ghost Ship because yeah, it's kind of a guilty pleasure. The first five minutes are pretty. St- I will give it. I'll say the first five minutes are pretty stellar. The whole Lido deck scene is really intense, but then it kind of goes off the rails. And I, typically, and we've talked about this a great deal on this podcast. And as filmmakers, we've dealt with it at various points in our careers, and that is complications between the studio and the director and you know what is intended so you know if you have the director has the has the has this vision and then the studio can have their vision and whereas and it can be i think i i wouldn't be wrong to say that the studio's vision is a little bit more capitalistically inclined say more commercial commercially inclined yeah commercial friendly Whereas the uh, the director is more artistic, you would be more can be more artistically inclined because he has his vision of what he wants to produce and the story he wants to tell, and that kind of ran into it because whereas um, the director here, uh, Steve Beck, really really wanted to make a supernatural thriller where people find a derelict ship and there's ghosts on the ship, and then people you know he but he wanted to be more of a thriller in that respect, but interference came from above and they wanted in the studio wanted and i believe it was uh yeah warner brothers uh underneath dark castle entertainment because dark castle entertainment is what they're known for they wanted a more you know graphic slasher type film which is why we kind of get the, the final bad guy in the end and you can see i think that's where the the big problem is you can see where the heads kind of butted on yeah this. yeah that that bad guy at the end kind of threw me for a loop and was like yeah, I've I've lost. I've, I've I'm out now. Like, it felt, yeah, it felt yeah, very. It, it takes you out. Like yeah. it does. It t- you're just like, oh, really? It came down to this <laughs> <laughs> boss level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, unfortunately, you you we you know we run into that. I've run into it on minor scales. I've never worked on anything large enough, but I have worked on things where I've had to deal with. What the people above me who have who have you know supplied money or supplied resources well, yeah, that they they they, they kind of get a say and what they would prefer to have their name attached to and that can lead to creative differences and then you've got to be able to pick and choose. Eugene has told me and uh, you know he's dealt with this you have to know when to pick you know pick your battles and choose which hills to die upon so yeah exactly you have to if you push for one if you if you're pushing for one scene you got to give another scene. Like you, you just, it's, it's kind of that, it's that trade off on it, especially, especially on like an indie budget where you only have you know, X amount of dollars that you can work with. And that dollar amount isn't really going to change. So you have to basically give and take. And, you know, if you're going to take ghost, for example, really push for that intro, knowing that, okay, well, I might have to have a bad guy in the end, but the wire come, cutting cross people, people will remember that. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Well, I- Thing we're 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 still to learn that. I mean, we me and Adam are pretty like our way or the highway most of the time. So we're still got to deal with like if if we end up dealing with bigger um, distributors or kind of uh, companies and stuff, that might might be well, something we're gonna find. <laughs> I think I think I think inevitably it, it is a bridge that we're gonna have to cross because. The other films that we have written are substantially a lot higher budget than hosts, and we intend to be speaking to bigger production companies. So I think there is there is going to be that inevitable conversation of, nope, you guys want the money to do it, you're going to have to do it this way, and we're going to be like, fuck. <laughs> you're going to be like, no, no, but in your back of your head, you're like, all right, we'll 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 fold real quick here. <laughs> and what we can do is, you know, 
learn how to manipulate them so we can say what we want to do but make them think it's their idea and on the back end <laughs> on the back end you kind of you kind of give them what they want up front get everything set and when then when you're running on set you kind of you know i would say adjust it to to kind of look like you know but you shoot what you want and say yeah. oh yeah 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 because because the money's spent we're rolling yeah. <laughs> we're hot right now <laughs> and the crew is there <laughs> sorry guys <laughs> like napoleon man you are fucking committed Okay, you're you know, there's no going back. <laughs> That's a little extreme. I mean, you can leave out the. <laughs> well, because it's like it's like a certain it's like a certain threshold. Like, okay, you're an upcoming filmmaker, and then once you get to the point where you're like, okay, now we're starting to do studio stuff, and you kind of have to kind of give with the studio to the point until one because once you get a couple of films, you get your name out there. It doesn't it doesn't matter. You can pretty much do what you want. Um, once you get past that, it's kind of that mid-range area where you're kind of like, okay, Disney, I'll direct your next superhero movie, but I guess I'll have to do it this way, and then you can kind of move on from there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. We might just be signing on next week, so we won't have to worry about it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but this, so this actually it poses a good question, and this is actually what I want to ask the audience. It has some super supernatural elements with it, with the ghosts and stuff like that, and but also it has some elements of a slasher. So actually, I, w- I want to ask the audience: Do you consider this a supernatural or a slasher? And so let us know in either the comments below or email us at weekendhorror at gmail dot com. Uh, so Alex, what do we got next? All right, up next. This was a new one for me, which was which was fun. <laughs> Graveyard Shift came out October 26th, 1990. I was just telling you, that was the year of my birthday. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so fucking old. <laughs> you were like you were like 10, weren't you, Jay? I was I was born in 80, yeah. <laughs> uh this was directed by Ralph Singleton, uh written by Stephen King. Kind of the short story was written by Stephen King and John S I see Esposito. I'm catching the Eugene. this one starred john hall jane wiskonski um i'm sorry those were the those were the names of the characters in the movie david andrews kelly wolf stephen mack andrew uh, divoff brad dorif was in this one which i didn't even know before i started watching it and i was like oh oh i know that guy uh vic pelosos pelizos why do you always give me the foreign movies, man? <laughs> I'm supposed to get the foreign movies. <laughs> uh, and then a slew of other people that get murdered. Uh, this, this one was fun. This was a movie. They're, they're in an old textile mill um, and there's a rat infestation and some people start to go missing and nobody seems to really give a shit, which kind of blew my mind. They kind of pretend like everything's a-okay. Uh, and then... Uh, this guy gets hired on long story short, there's a monster in the basement and it's terrifying until you realize what it is at the end. And I was like, Oh really? That's, that's all it was. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was good for, it was good for a nineties movie. I was good with it. I want to read the short story to see how it correlates with this. Something that, something that really threw me off though, was they made it a point to, to show that the mill was like near a graveyard and they did all this stuff. And it was like, and you get into it, and these rats are super creepy. That one part where he tosses the rat into the machine, and all the other rats are watching. It was like, oh, that dude's gonna die. Man, it's, it's, 
fucking like, uh, just that opening scene with that guy. <laughs> like, He's like such a dickhead. <laughs> I don't know. Like at, at first, like I, I was like, oh, this this guy actually seems quite nice. But then all of a sudden, he picks a rat up, puts it in the mill, you know, the the grinding machine, and then he turns to the rats and he's like, you want me to do it again, do yeah. you? <laughs> right. and, and that that it was at that point that i realized this is gonna be fun this be fun. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of fun it was cool that they brought like the rats into it and then you get to the end and find out you know that it's it's a bat and it was like oh okay you know like all right i don't know it, i yeah it was a good 90s movie it was a good 90s i, I want to read like i said i want to read the short story by stephen king now because i feel like that would be fun to read yeah see i i, I think like I mean, it, for me, like it was, it was fun to watch. I guess it's similar to the ghost ship thing. It was, it wasn't. I didn't necessarily think it was great, but it was definitely fun and entertaining to watch. And there was some really, there were some moments I found hilarious, and I'll explain in a, <laughs> a sec. But um, I feel like with Stephen King, you can some things are best left just as the book because they're so much more terrifying. Absolutely. Whereas, mm-hmm. but I think you know, in terms like the original it. Jesus Christ, it's, it's you know terrifying and stuff like that. But when it comes to, to this, and and I think I saw um, in the Tall Grass as well, and like yeah. I feel like there are certain things that are best left to the imagination because books can you know it's it, there's nothing for you to see. You 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 make up these images in your head yourself, and it's so much more terrifying. Um, yeah, yeah, you're not <laughs> wrong on on it. I remember uh, because my mother is a big fan of horror books and you know uh king and Koontz and various other authors are, are her favorites and i remember um i can't remember what year it was but my mother was reading it so she had the end you know of course it fascinated me it's this giant you know book it's a massive <laughs> it's a massive book, book. <laughs> and so i was like i want to take a look at this so i started so i started reading it and i can and i can tell you i was probably seven maybe eight because we were living in california we hadn't moved to Texas yet so i was i was either seven or eight years old when I read that, and, I, and there's still a line in there, and that's when uh, Pennywise grabs uh, Georgie mm. and is pulling him into, and I believe that, and, the, and I, I believe I've still got the quote seared into my brain: "Flaring sheets of agony." Mm. <laughs> and I, it, that was it. Was just how King described you know, the, you know Georgie getting his arm ripped off. And what what the kid what the kid was experienced through that and for you know and I think I read that when I was yeah single digits and I'm 40 now and I still recall that particular line so yeah sometimes the adaptation there, there shouldn't be an adaptation you know there you know I would say there are several like you know like trucks should not have been you know maximum over overdrive probably not you know not really good uh, <laughs> yeah not the um, yeah not not the best one but yeah I, I think I think you are right because it's nothing can beat the imagination yeah nothing nothing can anything you put on screen is going to be less terrifying uh than what you can come up with so showing so showing more and it, it just it, it takes away from that it, it does it takes away because if you have a screen all of a sudden the screen cuts the you know someone's walking in a hall a screen cuts to black all of a sudden you hear grinding and screams and all this other kind of stuff it's more terrifying than seeing somebody get stabbed with a knife or a hit with a hatchet Totally. Oh, the I'm oh, sorry. I was just saying the the Exorcist three scene. The Exorcist yeah. three scene <laughs> where you know it's just it's literally like you know a two like three seconds of just walking across like you know, a a person in a sheet scared the fuck out of me. Still yeah. scares me to this day. That's Adam made a really good point with Stephen King in particular too. And I know we've talked about this before on the podcast, but like 
I was I just uh, read his I just read his new book, and at the end of it, he makes a statement about how he comes up with these things, and he's getting up in his age now, and now it's at a point where he's kind of like, all right, fuck it, I'll talk to you, and he's like, listen, half of the shit that I've ever told anybody that you know my inspiration for these books was bullshit. He's like, it was all bullshit. I just told people what they wanted to hear. What really goes on in my head is what you see on paper. It's not something that I was inspired by. It's something that just popped into my head. And it's like listening to somebody say that and knowing what they have done, their works and the things that I've read. Cause I've read a, I, most of the Stephen King movies that I've seen, I've read the book for because his books are just so it, like you said, it leaves it up to the imagination, but he describes things scenes so well that it's a morbid scene that it paints in your head. And you can't portray that. I mean, you can use the best film, best cinematography. You'll never be able to tra- betray, betray, portray the feeling that you get when you read his works, which is just insane. Because, and then to hear him come out and be like, "Yeah, no, like the inspiration for a lot of these is really just stuff that I was thinking about while I was driving my car." And it's like, man, you got a <laughs> twisted fucking mind, bro. Like, Have you read Langoliers? Sorry. Have you read the Langoliers? I'd be interested. Oh God, yeah, absolutely. That was we've talked about this before. That was, I think, my first Stephen King movie that I ever saw was The Langoliers, and that's what started me on reading them too. Because I had the I had the the book laying around when I saw it, and then so I read that, and I started jumping into everything like Rose Red. Um, I did read most of it, and then I started reading everything that I could find on him. I, I just I just finished his brand new book that just came out this year, which is fantastic. It's called If It Bleeds. If It Bleeds, It Reads. You can kill it. That was a big thing about, uh, you know, because we were talking about adaptations. That there was a lot in the book of, of Graveyard Ship, or the, the little, the, the in that novella, in that short story. There was a lot that was left out because in the book, the um, it's still the same situation where people are brought on to basically do a clearing out of an old mill. It's, a, you know, one of the last mills in Maine. Uh, one of the last cotton mills in Maine, and they go down into the basement, and there's a massive rat infestation. But the de- and they realize that this place goes deeper and deeper, and the deeper they go, they wind up. They realize they eventually break into this enclosed ecosystem that, and there, and the rats have evolved along their own lines. So there are then winged bats and armored, or winged rats and armored rats <laughs> and giant rats, and like, and they eventually wind up, you know, uh, you know, discovering this giant massive like queen sow rat that's pumping out <laughs> other rats. It's friggin' disgusting. It's very, very gross. Now, how um, terrifying would that, would that be if there wasn't a film? <laughs> Seriously. I don't even know if they could have shot that because, you know, we, I, I do dig the monster. I really liked the monster. That was a freaky monster. You know, the, the, and um, when, when friggin' Steven, when uh, Steven mocked, does that whole, we're going to hell. Together, it just <laughs> runs at that fucker. I was like, okay, that's how you're going to go out. Okay, I'm cool. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> hell, if you're going to do it, do it. <laughs> and then the idea of, you know, that thing wraps him up in his wings. The idea of being wrapped up in something's wings as it, as it eats me and not being able to breathe, that's freaky to me. That that mm, kind of like, uh, shit. yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, you, know what I, you know what I loved about <laughs> one thing that just sent me into tears of laughter in this film was um, <laughs> was <when laughs> um who plays the, the the actress that is is it kelly uh, kelly wolf she plays the, kelly wolf yeah the girl with like the short black hair and yeah. and says that yeah um yeah. her and her and uh oh god david andrews right plays the lead yeah. right yeah. so they kind of you see them sort of establish this relationship and you kind of think oh these guys are probably gonna 
do it or you know end up together or whatever right and and it's kind of nice and the stuff and there's quite quite a genuine thing going on there and that they they get on well but like they don't nothing happens with them they don't <laughs> sleep together or anything like that right but then when shit hits the fan when they're in this cave they have their first kiss right <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was so like there was no build up to it there was no like we're gonna die let's <clears throat> let's just kiss like with passion it was literally like we're gonna get out I'm gonna try something. Trust me. How does he have to deal with anything? I guess. I guess tragedy or trauma bonds people. I don't. It's like it's like if the plane's going down. You know, you. you, That's the first thing I would think of. Like, if the plane's going down, just grab somebody and make it fun on the way down. You know. Oh, I'm doing more than kissing. Yeah, but but do it do it like you mean it. This was right, right. Like 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 take her. You like grab her like. You know her face or the back of her head, or you know, make it something to increase the intimacy. Not just like, "Hey, honey, we gotta go." <laughs> I know. And then, and then, and then she dies. <laughs> she dies. <laughs> well, decision then. <laughs> and you know, the last thing that went through her head was, "Man, that guy was a pussy." That was a kiss of that guy. That was a terrible kiss. Really? That was my last one? <laughs> That's my last kiss? That's it? <laughs> it makes me think of the scene was the scene in uh, Dogma where like it's like towards the very end all of a sudden you see Jay start to take his pants off. You told me if the world was going to end we were going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really dug and, and some of the things they kept. Obviously they left out the whole like ecosystem and the evolved you know monster rats and everything and you know, of course, you know the 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 scene where they did where they break into the cave and there's like all the bones that was in the that was in the short story. But um, the uh, the big sow monster thing was handled in, in a different way. I kind of liked you know putting the monster through the grinder. That was that was pretty effective. Um, yeah. But one thing that they did keep was how, like you mentioned, Adam, like you mentioned earlier, that so many of these characters were just dicks. Like, oh, you're just gonna throw rats in the freaking mill? It's like, <laughs> are you? Really? And then, of course, our protagonist, our lead guy who's going to save the day, pretty much is down there using a slingshot to shoot rats <laughs> with freaking soda cans. Like, are you that much of a dick? He's like, come on. Your product placement there, man. Yeah, good product placement. <laughs> it's the choice of a new of the new generation. <laughs> the thing that got me the most was like how. OK, so like. We've, Joe, we've worked in a, in an industry where the standards were held really, really high. Yes. I've also worked in industries where there was zero standards like in this movie, but it still blew my <laughs> mind when it was like, it was like the people would die. People went missing and they just like throw a now hiring sign up. Yeah. And this guy just kind of comes in and doesn't ask any questions. You know, it's like, oh yeah. You know, like, but then it's, yeah, just, there's just no shits given about the people that go miss. Oh. And then like when they're talking about the 4th of July break. And they're like, anybody on union gets paid. Anybody that's not on union is getting fucking fired. It's like, there was so much like of the, the industry, like the union industry in this movie that it was like, wow, this is, this is terrifyingly close to real life. And I don't know why they were putting it in there so strongly, but it was like, I don't know that whole thing where it was just like now hiring, you know, we don't know where the other fuckers went, but you know, <laughs> we, we could use a hand over here. There is one, one guy, um, uh, who asks, uh, Stephen Mott, he, he asks him, he says, what happened to the last guy? And then Steven <laughs> turned around and he's like, he didn't work out. And then that was it. Like, <laughs> the other guy's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, if right, any, yeah, if no, any cool. actor 
if any actor has a face that you could just zoom in on, it's <laughs> it's Stephen Mock in that role. And he captured the the foreman. He captured the uh, that foreman perfectly from the book. The dude is like that, you know, that even from the accent to the way he treats women to the way he's talking to people, you know, show's over. Go, everyone, go back to doing what you were doing. <laughs> it was like, he's, the dude is, he was so on point. And um, I think arguably the best part of that movie. He was just entertaining to watch. He's so slimy. He's so disgusting. And, you know, what do we got, kids? <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's <laughs> just that moment when he's in there and he's he's found those old, like, um, those old tools and he's taken the grease off of it and just run all his face like he's back in Nam. Like he's back in the war. <laughs> back up, kids. The trees are talking. <laughs> it's such a trip, but definitely if you if anyone out there, if any of our listeners get the opportunity, definitely check out the short story. It's I uh, believe it's a it's collected in different seasons or no. Um oh shit, I can't remember. Uh the name that it's in. Oh. Yeah, the, no, the, the 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 night shift. It was it was in night shift. Sorry, it was it collected in night shift. So um, definitely a chance to check that out. But also, this this film is a guilty pleasure of mine. It really is. I'll kick this on, you know, when I'm going to bed one night, just to just kind of watch it, kind of fall asleep to it. That says a lot about me. Very <laughs> <laughs> similar. Well, I, I I watch 1408 going to bed. I'll watch that one, you know, anytime. So. But I yeah, couldn't it's, even it's... leave the theater after 1408. I sat in the seat and I like just contemplated life, liberty, <laughs> and the pursuit of happiness. This is just after life watching that movie. It's just like, do I go on? You know, this this pretty much ended it. And unfortunately, like 1408, King King because King loved 1408. You know, Halfstrom did an amazing job with that one, but unfortunately, he did not love this one. <laughs> no. no, he didn't. And let's see. The quote he said was, uh, "It was a quick, it, it, quick exploitation picture. Like he did <laughs> not like it at all." Which King? I mean, King. I think he's about like fifty-fifty um, in terms of movies of his that he likes and dislikes on it. But this was definitely one that he he disliked on it. He probably may probably think of more like a serious tone or something like that, than versus a tone they kind of went with, but. But at the same time, it's like it's it's fun, and it, it's, it's fun. It is, and I know it's it's hard when, especially if you're a writer, and then you see someone adapt their work. It's never exactly how you imagine it as a writer uh, being kind of played out and everything. And so, and sometimes sometimes it's better, and sometimes you don't agree with it. And you just didn't. That's what's what's Stephen King's deal with rats? Like, if we could get him on the show, I just want to talk to him about rats, rats, <laughs> every- cats. Hats. It kind of looks a little bit like a rat, though, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I will say this. I do love that he cameos in so many of his movies. And, well, he didn't cameo in this one. Um, but he does pop up for, you know, from time to time in whatever he's doing and, in some role. But they did say you know, that the, the, the owner of the mill was Mr. Bachman, which was his pseudonym um, at the time, which I thought was pretty, which I thought was a nice little throw-in. Um, but, uh, his be- I think his best turn was when he was in Sons of Anarchy. That that <laughs> character fit him because he was the cleaner that you would call to come in and like clean up a dead body you know, to make the dead body go away. So he was the he dude was who so would- creepy in it too. It was it was, creepy he was, as he was really good at. Rolls in. He's got his son. He's got his son's cut on. He rolls up on his cycle. 
takes his helmet off and he's got those those beady eyes <laughs> looking around, kind of like you know. And then he goes in, just you know, like very very professionally, you know, checking you know, measurements of the body to you know take the blah blah blah, yeah, you know, like this. And then okay, okay, you guys leave. I need about an hour and a half. They come back an hour and a half later. It's done. What's done? You know, is it, is it all over? It's gone. What's gone? Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah, like, it, it just oh, it was perfect for him. Yeah, he was really ominous in that. That was really good. I I totally forgot about that <laughs> that whole <laughs> cameo. And they great. called him Bachman in that one too. Yeah. I still think he should have replaced Christopher Reeve as the new Superman. That's why I think he just he looks. <laughs> <laughs> I would actually, I would actually take. Stephen King over Brandon Routh any fucking day. And that says something about Brandon Routh. Oh, yeah. Now, we did we did talk about this being a 30-year-old movie now, and even seeing it now, you know, I, I wouldn't say it was ahead of its time or anything. I think it was right on track with with the era. But uh, with, with the technology that we have now, and Jail, you were saying they left a lot of stuff out. It would have been cool if they would have put a lot of stuff from that book in. It's... A, I'd like to ask the audience, would you like to see a remake of this movie? Is it necessary? I think like, like it's been talked about, it was a little underwhelming. You're saying it's a little underwhelming compared to the story. Uh, but now that we've kind of adapted to Stephen King's mind, it's taken many years and we've gotten pretty close. I know you, Adam, you were talking about, uh, in the tall grass. And that was another one that I would agree could probably stay a book. Um, just because of, like you said, being able to picture it in your head, it was a lot more terrifying to make your own thoughts on it. But, but with, uh, with where we're at with Stephen King's works and kind of with the directors that have worked with them and kind of like honed in on, on what he likes to see, could there be a remake to this movie? I think you could probably do a pretty good remake to this movie. We haven't seen a good, a good rat movie for a long time. I think the last one I saw was like, I can't even remember what it was called, like Wilson or something like that. Probably Willard. Yeah, Willard, oh, yeah, that's Willard. what it was, yeah. yeah. And that was the last time I saw anything that had to do with rodents, really. I think I think this one would be good. I think we could bring it back and use some, some good CGI and kind of bring back more of the short story. I got to go read it because it sounds like it's it's much more detailed than the movie yeah. was. So, yeah, audience, let us know. What do you think? Weekinhorror.gmail.com or punch a comment in below. All right, JL, so let's go, let's go classic. Yes, we're going to go. Fitting, gonna fitting go. for the time of month. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, I am glad that we got to that we got to cover this one this week. So uh, we're going back, uh, you know, back before Alex was born. October thirtieth, nineteen eighty one, was the release of Halloween two, the follow up to Carpenter's classic. Now, this was directed by Rick Rosenthal and written by John Carpenter and his partner at the time, Deborah Hill, and starring, of course, Jamie Lee Curtis, Donald Pleasance, and a host of others. Um, but uh, and this follow-up picks up immediately after the events of the first Halloween. Um, Laurie's being uh, uh, Laurie Strode is being taken in uh, to the hospital. My, Michael Myers is still alive, and they continue the battle against him until they think they finish him off at the end. But it's a wild, wild ride, made all the better because we don't have any of the exposition from the first film to introduce these characters. We can get we get straight into the carnage and the gore. So um, a lot of uh, definitely a bolder take on the story than the original Carpenter version, but still one that some people feel is superior to the first jail. I'm sorry. I have to cut in last last age joke of the night. I was doing the math because you said before I was born and I was like, I was but a twinkle in my dad's eye. But then I thought about it and my dad was 21 years old when this movie came out. (laughs) (laughs) 
I think I think my dad was 23, 23 or 24. I think so. Yeah. Oh my god, my dad was in his 20s. Holy shit. Oh wow. That's I okay. If you really older. want to go that way, my mom was 12. <laughs> she just turned 12. <laughs> Now I know we 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 dumped the uh, when I selected I wanted to select this one because I definitely wanted to put this one in in Richard's hands because it's such an amazing uh, it's, it, it for sequels for horror sequels which usually don't pan out very well this one really did especially back then yeah I think it was, I think it was um, in my personal opinion an improvement I mean I I'm I will put my hands up here and say this is the first time I've seen. Both of them. I had to watch the first one as well this week because I knew we'd be comparing. And I watched them both. And I, I do think there's a little bit of um, had to be there kind of vibe. With it. <laughs> films have changed and kind of got better pacing and, and stuff like that. These films are quite long, long-winded, I think. Um, but the second one kind of was straight, straight to the punch. And what I loved was it, it literally felt like you'd paused the film and then unpaused it because it carried on exactly. And the cinematography was identical. Um, even a few years later, it looked like it was exactly rolling off the same stock and everything. Um, so that was impressive. Um, there was a bit more tension to this. The thing that I was more disappointed with this one was the fact that Jamie Lee Curtis, as incredible as she is, was just confined to a bed for the whole film and barely conscious. And that was a bit of a shame because... She in the first one, she is the shining light of the actresses. The other actresses are quite poor in the original. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. I'm glad to see uh, what's his name. I I forget his name. The psycho psychiatrist. Uh, yeah, Donald Loomis. Yeah. In this one, he actually got out of the bush yeah. and was wandering around the town <laughs> to actually do something helpful. Rather than sitting outside Michael Myers' house in a bush for the whole film, like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then like, jumping out there, jumping out there with a gun, only to not kill his ass. <laughs> <laughs> it was good to see all that kind of playing out. There were some tense scenes in, you know, in in the hospital, and um, yeah, it was good. Uh, I think there was there's less boobs scenes in this one, but they were longer, so you know, you can... <laughs> <laughs> of course, so it's a good balance. The time of boob on screen is about the same. <laughs> For everybody who can't see what, what people are doing, they're definitely adjusting their hands. <laughs> analogy. One down as they are playing with titties. <laughs> I like how that's the word that I like tried to try to censor myself on. <laughs> fuck shit ass. And I'm like, wait, titties? Can we say titties? <laughs> can, can we can we fucking can we say titties? <laughs> Better moments, despite like I, I felt like in the first one, the majority of the film, about three quarters of the film, was just people walking and then a shot of Michael standing behind them in a bush or out the window, or they'll put a book down and he's just there and like just in the background shots. I'm like, cool, we've seen this many times now. Can we have him kill someone, please? Can we <laughs> stab somebody? The only saving grace of that was Carpenter's was Carpenter's score. Yeah. Um, it's, he's a very, very talented composer. Um, this, the work that he's done and the work that he's done in uh, when he, in league with Ennio Morricone, you know, rest in peace. Um, but uh, the work that he's done uh, is is fantastic. It, I love his minimalist style, mm. and it plays very well to I think his shooting style as well. And this transfer, you know, this this actually translates to to 
um, to The Thing. It translates to In the Mouth of Madness, uh, Prince of Dark, his entire Apocalypse trilogy, to, to They Live was very minimalist in it so that you could focus more on the action and just kind of get the kind of emotive beats behind it, which is really good. His big one, A Big Trouble in Little China, you know, he got a little bit more bombastic. And I think we didn't get the same kind of, which is why that doesn't really feel like a Carpenter movie. Yeah. So, yeah. So we can, we can suffer. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. No, I love the minimalism, especially in the thing. That score is so... Just that dun 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 dun. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Perfect. And I think that's one thing I kind of got a little bit lost with because I only saw the thing a couple of years ago for the first time. I kind of got more into the horror as I've gotten older rather than when I was younger. And the thing is still incredible. Like it's it's amazing, and, and I still prefer the original to the remake slash prequel um, even today. But kind of looking at Halloween, I did feel like I feel like that had to be you had to kind of be there at the time. And it was strange that it was the same director that kind of managed to do something that was timeless. But Halloween, that I guess has a, a massive fan base, didn't feel timeless to me, if, if you know what I mean. There were some great moments like when he kills the boyfriend and he comes in wearing the sheet and the glasses. That was amazing. <laughs> wasn't any moments like that in the second one. So I guess that's a plus for the first one. Um, things like that, I thought would great but i felt overall it, it didn't have a lot going on other than a guy in a bush <laughs> the thing it, it's so funny that you mentioned that that you mentioned that one particular scene because if you look at the size of michael myers in that <laughs> first film and the size of her boyfriend and this dude so is like okay so his bo- her boyfriend was like 510 511 at best you know and he leaves you know, you know, he leaves to go get a beer, and then he, or and then he, then he obviously gets picked up and you know nailed to the wall with a friggin' butcher knife, and then comes back in. Now your boyfriend is seven feet tall, wearing <laughs> a sheet with the glasses all crooked, shit, and you don't notice <laughs> that this is not your boyfriend. <laughs> I was like, okay, I mean, all right, you know, like you said, the actors, act, you know, the character not very bright. Jamie Lee Curtis was obviously leagues ahead of everybody around her. Uh, yeah. Well, see, this it also it brings a really good point because, like, with Richards just watching it recently and just being like, "Oh, well, you kind of have to have been there." It's interesting because you've you've seen all the tropes that have been created by the Halloween series already. So when you're finally seeing, it, you're like, "Oh, well, I've seen this before." Instead of being like at that time when those tropes didn't even exist. Earlier, yeah, it was that I, when I was watching, I was like, "This is so cliche," and I had to keep reminding myself, "No, this is where the cliches came from." Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> he feels like he's just copying everything. No, he was first. <laughs> no, I get that. <laughs> and that's it's it's wild. Um, yeah, you know, typically because yeah, you know, obviously the franchise kind of fell off a little bit because Halloween one, Halloween two is yeah, you know, we're both fantastic. Halloween three, I actually admire them. I actually, I'm a, I'm a fan of Halloween three, season of the witch. Um, I really admire the fact they wanted to do something different, uh, very similar to what they did with the Friday the Thirteenth franchise. Uh, that you know, try to you know, take Jason out of it and you know, go go in another direction. Um, but then of course you know you know four five six seven eight. You, my God, and it just kept you know <laughs> sliding sliding until all of a sudden 2018 rolls around and fucking Danny McBride. You know, and David Gordon Green are like, let's do another one. And I'm like, and I heard about that. I was like, Danny McBride is involved? What the? This, it was almost as shocking as hearing Chris Rock 
is fronting a new soul oh, film. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, wait, wait, Chris Rock? <laughs> like, it turns out Chris Rock is a huge J- uh, Saw fan. I'm like, oh, didn't see that coming. So, and I then, know it's crazy. And then all of a sudden, you know, they and I love that. I love that they were that they unabashedly, you know, retconned. I I love that they took that risk. They unabashedly retconned everything all the way back to one. Basically, everything that was in two all the way through nine, I think, or eight. The six, six, seven, eight. Yeah, because there were eight. Yeah, like H two O and Resurrection. Sorry, I'm you know checking my internal list, but all of that just was relegated to urban legends and stories that were told amongst the residents of Haddonfield over the last forty years. Wow. And then I all like- of a sudden, so now we have you know Halloween one, 1978, and Halloween, 2018. That's you're talking about about so before the new Halloween came out back in. Was 2018? God, was that yeah. long ago? <laughs> uh, previously, like in 2017, John Carpenter was talking about how the new Halloween film was going to retcon everything that happened before it. And it was like, how? And that's what got me into the theater was like, how is he going to pull? Because we've gone through so much. And like you were saying, the you know, the first one, you could, like you said, it was like you paused it and turned it back on. It was the second one. You know, I was like, how are they going to transition back into that that kind of smoothness i don't know a better word but to go back and like so when john carpenter was like yeah we're gonna retcon everything from before it was like really and then like you said you get into it and it's like the urban legends and it's like they've been talking about it the whole time just like we have and i think that's why it played off so well is because it was like they couldn't just do another one and be like oh he's back you know it had to have the backstory to it so they spent so much time in this this new the first new one going back and covering everything and like, oh, this is what happened. This is what was going on in Michael's head, essentially. I mean, and then they get into Loomis a lot into that one. And then, I mean, and then we get screwed over by the quarantine and the second one doesn't come out and I'm pissed because it's like, now we've built it back up. We've taken everything that we had before. We spent an entire movie building it back up. Now, now what? Like, are they going to, is it going to be a fresh, you know, where are they going to go with it? What fresh hell does Michael <laughs> have in store for us? Can I ask a noob question on, on this? Just... Because I have no idea. Do they ever explain why Michael is indestructible? Okay, that was the big thing. In <laughs> three different in ways, the, yeah. <laughs> in the in four, five, and six, because um, one and two were Michael, three was not. But you know, in four, five, and six, they were leading up to this idea that there was this satanic cult called like the Circle of the Thorn or something like that. So yeah, something of the thorn. Yeah, and that they were basically utilizing Michael, like the like, and they selected him when he was a child. But they were basically utilizing Michael Myers and uh, to funnel like you know demonic energy into him to build him up and to eventually become like the avatar for like you know their you know, Satan or something on Earth. Right. So, but it took time. They had to like channel energy into him. So it was this big cult trying to make him into you know this bigger thing, which is why he had relative you know immort you know, or invulnerability, or you could hurt him, but you couldn't kill him. That's why he always kept coming back. And, and then they scrapped it, that after what seven? Yeah, <laughs> it, it, that off. was just like, it was silly and ridiculous, and that's why I dug the the I dug the retcon. You could literally take Halloween one, you take the first one, and then just right at the end of it, put a big Avenger style title card forty years later, <laughs> and then just run twenty eighteen. And then you can run twenty eighteen. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, you <laughs> could stop right at one and yeah and yeah. <laughs> Because they don't. In 2018, they don't touch on any of that stuff. You know, they don't touch on, like, 
what four, five, six, pretty much anything after. Yeah, Yeah. pretty much anything after two. I mean, not even really. I mean, yeah, two. So anything after one and two, you could stop there, and then move to twenty eighteen, and the story would still be good. (laughs) Yeah, and and you just go from there. I mean, that is that is exactly, and also with the 2018 because you're talking about it's like maybe pacing wise for the older films the 2018 it still it still maintains that feel has some great kills my oh, favorite yeah. kill being the the one shot where he goes through the house which is so <laughs> so well that, done that that tracking shot was brilliant yes oh it was so good when the camera's following him as he's you know doing his thing fuck yeah just just just, com- just completely well done and it's it's it basically it's still close enough to the old series where old fans can enjoy it, but newer fans can easily pick up on um, the Halloween 2018 one. Easily pick it up. So because I think for sure. yeah, and I think we were supposed to get it was supposed to come out this year the second one right Halloween Kills. Yeah, oh. it was supposed to. It got delayed till ne- delayed till next year. Yeah, yeah 2021. Which sucks because I was kind of excited about that, but you know, whatever. You know what always gets me? I know we've talked about it before, but very little little people know about the fact that like the Michael Myers mask was a cast of William Shatner's face. Yeah. It was a Captain Kirk mask that was just painted white. So after <laughs> I learned that fact, I went back and rewatched uh, the first one, and I can't get William Shatner's face out of my head now when I see Michael Myers' mask. It's <laughs> fantastic. It's genius. I love it. But go ahead, go ahead. That that opening shot in the first one, I absolutely adored. This like five minutes long of Jason, uh, Jason, uh, Michael killing his sister, um, and it starts <laughs> with the very opening shot of him watching through the window and then going in through the house up the stairs, and and it's all one shot, and I love that. And I was like, oh, this is this is I'm getting real good vibes from this, and then I felt. <laughs> It kind of paused for about an hour. At all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he yeah, probably was standing outside the bush. That's the classic, uh, iconic scene. Alex just he's... Alex just reminded me of that meme that I recently saw. And it's a picture of yeah, William Shatner from back on the original Star Trek. And he's kind of like at the camera going like, what? And he's like, no, he's like, no, officer, I wasn't in Haddonfield recently. <laughs> <laughs> But that, this is this is an interesting point because both both of y'all, um, Richard and Adam, as both writers and directors, um, retconning is a thing that people are very 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 divided on. Whether it happens in you know your favorite genre, whether it happens in your favorite comic book series, um, or whatever, there are I would say yeah, you know, like I said people are divided on it from an artistic or a creative standpoint. But how does that sit, sit with you guys when you see it? Or have, have you encountered it much? Or has it happened to anything that you guys love? Like Doctor Who? I've got something, but uh, Adam, do you want to... Have you got anything? No, you go ahead, man. You go ahead. It's happened recently with me with one of my favorite computer games of all time, which is Final Fantasy VII. Um, and they've just done the remake, and they massively retconned it. They um, retconned the shit out of that, dude. <laughs> Really don't know how I feel, man. I'm waiting for the sequel to see if they completely have got this oh. man because I'm like, you what? And like, kind of putting all the pieces together, I'm like, this is a complete retcon. This isn't. This isn't the game you promised. This is a sequel. Like, this is this is balmy. Like, um, and I think that was disingenuous of, or disingenuous of the, the makers of it because they promised the game we knew and loved kind of modernized and it's not like, and that's, 
it's kind of hurts. Do you know what I mean? If he had you had a sting, it's a definite sting. You almost had to expect it, though. You take something that's so good, and then this big promise, it was like, it was such a letdown. You're right. Absolutely, it was a letdown, because it was like, uh, no. So, yeah, no, the sequel would be, the, the next one's, I, it's, yeah. I'm right there with you. Sorry, I got so much to say about Final Fantasy VII. This is not the podcast. Yeah, I, mean, I, was, I was fixing to say, because I'm a huge Final Fantasy VII fan. I played it when it first came out on PlayStation 1, and I, I beat it so many times. And, yeah, you're right. No, it, you it hurt. Beat, but did you ever beat Emerald Weapon? Yeah. <laughs> Emerald, yeah, Emerald and Ruby Question Weapon. question is, did you? <laughs> no, I never did. I was too busy having sex with girls. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was having sex with girls that would play with me. <laughs> well, that's what they're supposed to do, Alex. <laughs> up, down, up, that's, down, left, right, that's left, how right, I, start. That's how I knew. That's how I knew my fiance was the one. Was we were at home one day, and she's like, "You want to play video games?" I was like, "Let's get married." <laughs> <laughs> Perfect woman. <laughs> Adam, what, uh, what did you have? What's that? Sorry. Oh, I said. Yeah, I thought you had something after Richard. Um. When when you when that term, do you mean like? Does it mean like expecting something completely different? Oh, when you, retro, retroactive continuity. It's when they go back and they change what has already taken place in order to justify the story that they're going forward with. Oh God! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't know. Like off the top of my head, I can't think of anything. But yeah, so I think um, like uh, the retconning of I think the best example I think that you guys might be able to relate to and and so many people is that when Moffat was in charge of Doctor Who and there were retcons done to Christopher Eccleston's Doctor and they changed things that that occurred in the series in order to justify where they were going with with Capaldi. So there were there were issues there and people were really, really pissed because it was Moffat who did that and. To a lot of people, Eccleston's Doctor is very, very sacred because that was, you know, it was a very important aspect of the Doctor that that needed to be there to, you know, for the storyline. But then they fucked it all up with the whole like Christmas special and whatever like this. But it's that example or changing my my the one that that digs, you know, that I fucking hate the most was you know fucking Quesada, Joe Quesada at goddamn Marvel. I could kick him in the teeth for this was retconning. 60 fucking years of Spider-Man because of all the things I'm a fan of I'm a I'm a fan of Spider-Man the most mm. and he was the, like literally the first comic I ever picked up picked up in my life and Joe Quesada did a uh, fronted a story called One More Day where Peter Parker's trying to save Aunt May and no one can save her no one can help so he eventually ends up going to Mephisto and Mephisto says I'll save Aunt May if you never are basically the, the payment was you were never with Mary Jane. So, and that might, and the Peter says, yes. So then right then 60 years of comics never took place. And it was like, fuck <laughs> you. Wow. Yes. I, I was really pissed. Uh, yeah. Like we got to end this now. Yeah. <laughs> 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 What a guy! So, yeah, the effects of retcon, uh, you know, the I would say any artistic field is very, very divided because some people feel it it freshens up, it freshens things up, um, that allows you know more people to look into it, you know, because they, they know it won't be the same. Uh, but some people feel it it dishonors the original uh, content and it completely shits all over the work that the the work and the passion that was put into it beforehand. I tend to lean to that one because retconning shit is, I think, is a cash grab move 
Yeah, I think I, I think I have to agree with you on that, man. I'm on I'm on the same page for sure. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Paranormal activity. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it, yeah. It, yeah. I have to I have to mention it, and because of me being a huge Star Wars fan and oh, them retconning a hundred and sixty three books. <laughs> they can they completely like we have me and my roommate we have every single star wars book like like on bookshelves like all over like all all over the house and so you, you grew oh, up I, thought these, they were, I thought you kept them in bed with you you know just like uh, uh yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so they so they went and they so they went and they retconned all of them once disney bought it and so we're like, okay, well, we'll see what's going to happen. And so then when you had the Han Solo story and a lot of those movies took a nosedive and Kathleen Kennedy was like, well, a good Star Wars story is really hard to find. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, every, and every EU author was like, fuck you. <laughs> exactly. I was, I was just I was like, you have all these books. Just, just turn one into a movie. <laughs> it's yeah. wild. I, I love I love that we're doing this podcast over Skype because of you know being across the world from each other. This is the first time we've done it other than our live show, and everybody is making hand gestures that nobody can see over the recording. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. There's Wait, arms filling everywhere. I... JL is flipping off the camera. It's fantastic. <laughs> we had this earlier as well, didn't we? Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the titty thing. All right. Well, I definitely want to ask um, the audience uh, whether or not you're a fan of the new films or not. Um, what are your thoughts on how Halloween Kills is going to play out? Because we got two more films coming up in this new Halloween trilogy. We got Halloween Kills and we've got Halloween Ends. So, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, do you dig where they're going with it? Do you not dig it? Do you, do you like what Danny McBride and you know David Gordon Green and Blumhouse brought to the table? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. We'd love to know here what you think. Leave us a note in the comments or hit us up weekendhorror at gmail.com. Definitely uh, send us those emails. Alex is very, very lonely and needs to hear from you. Yes. All right, Eugene, we've got one more left on the docket. Bring it home. All right. We got released October 30th, 2009, and is The House of the Devil. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> it was directed by Ty West. If I pronounce oh, that my correct. God. You was, it, right. was it a question? Or? <laughs> Ty, I thought it was, I, I've been saying T West. To be honest, with you, but I don't know what's right. <laughs> That's actually English, and you like a good cup. T West, T, T West, and so it stars Jocelyn Donahue, Tom Noman, Noonan, Noonan, Tom Noonan, <laughs> Mary. Oh man, this one's bad. Where oh, Mary Warnov, Warnov, and Greta Gerwig. <laughs> and also on top of that, you got AJ, AJ Bowen and D Wallace. My girl. D Wallace. And so basically in a nutshell, you've got somebody who got a new college student who is taking up kind of a babysitting job over at this house. And instead of babysitting a child, they end up babysitting a mother and the family has like a terrifying secret and shit gets crazy. <laughs> that, that it does. Not even like, not even like a little crazy. It gets really weird really fast. <laughs> when she opens up the the uh, pic when she's looking at the pictures, 
You're like, oh, what the fuck's going on here? Yeah. That, this is I, one of I, those, like, the color is inside that? the house kind of movies. I was confused when I watched it. I, I went up because I thought, okay, this is this is an old film. And then I was doing my research on it, and it's, like... 10 years or 11 years ago man it's like i i thought like it's it's got a super like 80s vibe to it and um i don't know if i <laughs> i don't know yeah. if <laughs> Be careful here, because it's a dark sky film. <laughs> I, I mean, I think, I think the truth is out. I, I personally, I, I didn't, I didn't love it. Um, I thought there was some cool, some cool stuff in terms of like the vibe and the, the cinematography and everything. Um, I felt like, I felt like it dragged a little bit, but you know, a lot of films do that and stuff um, with the intent of creating tension and stuff i mean we we do it in our film um but i felt like with this for me personally it it lacked that tension there was like i don't know it was like loads of shots of you know uh jocelyn <laughs> like just running and then she comes back and and her her roommate's banging some guy and then she goes and then she comes back and she's snoring and then she goes and she comes back and she's awake and like that's all this stuff and then she goes to the guy's house um you know the the the, the the satanists house whatever they are right and he's like order pizza order pizza order pizza <laughs> like three times it's like okay we get we <laughs> we get it but then nothing Fucking happens pizza. and it like nothing happens and then um her roommate that dropped her you know she's like come back at, at half 12 or whenever it is and she goes and then the guy gives her a, a, a light for her cigarette and then shoots her in the face and i'm like sick something's gonna you know this is where shit gets real now and this was i think about 45 minutes in or, or something to the film like cool awesome but then nothing happens for another half an hour and, <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the end the end you know the, the ending was just batshit crazy you know it, it, it yeah. and, and and whatnot but yeah i but it was it was cool i just felt like it, it lacked um that dread from for you know say two-thirds of it it just lacked that dread for me but it was cool i i, I dug the vibe for sure yeah because there there is a difference between something that generates tension like i think a movie that it can that does that well would be like hereditary how mm. it can you have like these shots just just inside the house where nothing's going on but it plays into it kind of sets up the mood it sets up the it still has its own purpose or it follows. and so it yeah or it follows yeah yeah yeah, I mean, ab absolutely. But there are films out there that'll try to establish that same tension, and it just kind of it kind of falls. Mm. It, if it, I don't, if your premise isn't established well right off the bat, and you're not willing to be able to pick up the purpose of the shots, and the shots fall flat. I think well, that there's there's a there's a balance that needs to be maintained between your know, your visual aesthetic, and I think also, I I hate I hate to throw it's your actors. Okay, your performances have got to to be able to elevate the scene, mm. you know, mm. and it's just been that was my kind of view in this is that I see where they're trying to go with this. But when one when one area lacks, you've got to be able to pick it up on the other side so that you can kind of maintain a little balance. It's, it's, you know, this is not really working, but we can sell it with this just like Ghost Ship at the end. You know, Ghost Ship is like, wow, this, you know, this is going to descend into something silly, but we still got that five minutes. We still got that first five. <laughs> and unfortunately, I thought that there just wasn't enough on either side to kind of hold it up. You know, it was kind of like, well, maybe it's really, really well acted. Uh, well, maybe it's this. It's like, uh, and it's 
sixes across the board, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, you're right, because with, with good performances, if you get two good actors, they can be talking about doing laundry, and it'll be one of the most interesting conversations you ever had. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're just able to – I mean, Quentin Tarantino does that better than anybody. They're talking about a Royale of cheese. They're talking about fucking McDonald's. Yeah. That is it. <laughs> but we everyone, all know that scene. Why does everyone go to go to Tarantino? Because yeah. he's – he's, <laughs> he's, he's like just like a go-to. I've I mean, done I, it. I know. I've done it myself. I, I consistently the, – the whole point, the whole inspiration behind this podcast was pretty much us sitting around talking what we like. Like in the, the the I literally used the example, like you know the diner scene in Reservoir Dogs, yeah. <laughs> yeah, where we have a really compelling story about a really compelling you know tale about why Steve Buscemi, why Mr. Pink doesn't fucking tip. I was kind of I was kind of was like why why and then his explanation it was like holy shit oh wait yeah we, we have a ba- we have a fucking robbery we got to get to but this was really interesting so <laughs> that's kind of what i wanted to create when i did this it, I, just, I find it interesting every time we talk about that kind of aspect it always always comes back to tarantino and creating those scenes and allowing your your acting to build to basically lift up the script to pull that much out of there but, but then again he wasn't, working, he wasn't working with travolta or jackson you know <laughs> it's a master tension and we took a lot of cues from him with with when we were doing hosts and it wasn't we weren't taking cues from like your typical horrors and stuff we were looking at tarantino films mm-hmm. for for inspiration for stuff and and the you know not to kind of go off on on our film at this point but like the the dinner table scene was massively inspired by tarantino and that was kind of one thing that we wanted to do but yeah so i think he just he, he nails that oh uh, yes the uh, the 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 moments the the moments in between the action, he completely just you know is bullseyes every single time. The little things that like like you know these guys were around. The characters don't begin at the action. What's going on before then? True Romance had some of the best ones. You yeah. know that was some of his some of his top notch. You know just those moments there. I love the the whole when they at the very end when they're all in the the was that the penthouse? So they're up there in the the office and everybody is there. And just kind of like where, which which direction is this going to go? This is going to end bad, but where is it going to go? You know? But I love the build up to that, and you know he's a he is a master at it. He's inspired, I think, all of us. Mm, totally. Oh yeah, without a doubt. But score is important as well of keeping that the scenes that you want to kind of keep long and build tension. You need mm-hmm. it's score there. If you haven't got really compelling dialogue, you need really kind of the score to kind of tell the. The story of what you're not seeing do you know what i mean there's because you can show you know a shot of a parking lot or something like that with no music and it's like this is boring but you put some dreadful music on top and you're like there's something important about this parking. <laughs> somebody's gonna come out from behind a car now you know yeah. <laughs> i wanted to I... touch on something oh go ahead oh yeah go ahead go ahead alex I was going to say, I wanted to touch on something that Adam had said, This the nostalgic, you know, it's supposed to be an 80s feel to the movie. And, you know, you're talking about a lot of, a lot of down parts, but I think in this, in this movie, they, there was a lot that a lot of people wouldn't really pick up on unless they knew about the 80s films. Um, like the films, the cinematography, the filming style, they did a lot of the, the zoom in shots on the characters Yeah, and that yeah. was, that was big. When they released this movie, uh, they did a promotional release uh, on VHS, like in an old clamshell box. And I think it was it, the last one to be released on VHS was like in 2005. So like 
they did the promotional thing. And then, um, uh, while Samantha's watching TV, Night of the Living Dead is on, on the TV and they, they played songs. Uh, one thing leads to another by the fix, which was, uh, like one of the top songs in 1983, you know? So they touched on a lot of stuff. They did a lot of work in the background to make it feel, I think it was even shot on 16 millimeter film. Um, to give it that, yeah, retro yeah, to, to, they kind of read. They wanted to pay homage to this style behind like Amityville Horror, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, of, of, of like Halloween, of those early slashers, and create that same kind of feel to that. So, yeah, well, and then they also paid major homage to uh, a movie from the 80s. The the couple, the last name was Omens, and so it, it's that's it, the shining. Uh, the whole was the hotel. The hotel manager's name was Allman, um, and so like they they really touched on so many things that if you didn't know what you were looking for, you wouldn't see it. And this movie coming out not that long ago, you know, you you wouldn't think a lot of people around the age to be watching scary movies, teenagers would even know. So I thought that was really cool. And while there was like a lot of down, like you said, there's a lot of just back and forth around the house, and it's just it's back. It's, you, you're watching them live life more than there is scary parts until you hit midnight, which was, you know, 12 o'clock, the lights explode and everything goes to shit. But it was, uh, <laughs> it was, I thought it was really cool. I was picking up when I was watching this. Cause I just watched this. I hadn't even known this was a film until recently. And I was just watching, I was like, man, this is look at Cause night of the living dead was on the TV. I was like, no shit. So then I went back and I was like watching, I started it from the beginning after I saw that and I was watching for stuff like that. But yeah, that 16 millimeter film, the zooming in, the the 80s feel is really cool. I really like it was fun to watch because because of that feel, especially because it's such a, a newer movie and people don't do that anymore. So I like it, it was really really honest. I really dug it because it 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 was the le- a legitimate homage. Because sometimes you can you can kind of tell the difference between you know we're stealing this because it works or we are paying tribute to this because right, exactly. it was so awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, and re- you know recognizing the shoulders that you're standing upon, which is in, in art, I think is very very important. And I dug that it did that because it was it was just it was there. And if you recognized it, very cool that you recognized it. But we're not going to draw so much attention to it. There's like, oh, look what we did. Yeah, it's amazing. It's not, you know? it's not fear, Inc. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not fear, Inc. <laughs> yeah, and- when you're trying to shoehorn, when you're trying to shoehorn something like that, where it's like, oh, well, we're going to do so much, we're just going to throw it in your face. So, oh, we're huge horror fans. Look at all the horror nuggets that, and, and tidbits that we have in our film instead of just actually being able to slide it in like the right way. Yeah. And it, that's, that's it's cool. technically masterful, you know, in creating the 70s and 80s. It reminded me a lot of It Follows because so much. I can't even imagine the the set dressing work done for It Follows because the purpose of It Follows was to create an anachronistic environment that you could never quite pin down what year it was, and it was very very disorienting. That was that was whole. That, I mean, the sets themselves were a part of the character, everything from the clothing to the cars to what was on TV to the technology that was around was very very weird because it didn't sit anywhere, so you had no idea what decade you were in. I loved this one because so much attention to detail has to go in to creating not just the look, not just the technical look of the film, but also what you are shooting. Because it, even if you make your film look old, or if you use older style film to do something, if your set designs, if your set dressings are not done correctly, then you're going to blow it. It's going to fall apart in the end. So yeah, you've got so- to watch, like you said, Night of the Living Dead on the television. But what kind of television? What kind of house is this? What you know, What is everybody wearing? The slang that people use, the hairstyles that they do. It's 
technically savage to to go in there and try to nail everything because as Eugene and I have both and, and we've all experienced, you get on set and your that 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 eye ends up picking up things that you may not have caught, which is you know why we rely on our 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 uh, our set designers and our artistic directors in order to make sure that these these things happen. Absolutely, absolutely, <clears throat> a lot of work goes into it for sure, and I think props to them for that because there is a lot, and I agree with you, man. Like it, it's from everything. Like I like how you explained that that the Night of the Living Dead. Well, it needs to be on an old TV from that time, even the, yeah. down to the sound down to the sound as well. It needs to sound like it's in the 80s. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like every, absolutely everything. You can't have like a 2020 Camaro blasting by the house, you know? <laughs> and that that fucking like TV better have three channels. Yeah. One, two, and <laughs> you. <laughs> but uh, I guess the thing, I mean, I haven't this one, so I can't comment on, on whether, I mean, Adam, Adam watched this one, but um, I think it would be a shame if you kind of spend all, that, all the time and all the production on on making it look legit and then forget the story, I guess that might be something that I would have an issue with. But I, like I said, I haven't seen it. So like it, it needs to, to hold up as a, as a film. I think, I think, yeah. King, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I agree. That's, that was probably the, the letdown for me personally, just because I mean, like it was fun when shit got real at the end, but I was also not surprised that, Something like that was going to happen. And then I, 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 sorry to anyone that hasn't seen it, but I literally said, she's not going to shoot him. She's going to shoot herself. And then she shot herself. Like, <laughs> said one comment to me earlier, and you're like, they've, they've spent so long setting up this, this pizza thing. And all the other people had to do was phone and say, she's in the house. Mm. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, there's another thing, too. I was reading in the, uh, when I was researching this movie. The the pizza when she orders the pizza scene, that actually there was a thing that was um I don't know if you guys had read up on it, but when she was ordering the pizza, uh the pizza guy asked if she wants a pizza with extra anchovies, and it was a nod to um Loverboy with Patrick Dempsey. Uh and the extra anchovies reference meant that the the pizza boy was delivering something other than pizza, like you know, drugs, weed, whatever. But so, like, that was that was another nod. You kept bringing up the pizza thing, and I forgot to bring that up. But that was another thing that was in there that I would have never even thought of until I read it. And I was like, oh, no shit. Yeah, okay. Uh, so he's getting something else. Yeah. On top of the pizza. You want extra okay. anchovies? Yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> that was, that was, the 80s, man. It was, you know, it was and I got to give it to him. Ty West, Ty West loves the genre. You can tell that a lot of love went into it. Um, a lot of honesty went into it, and I could see the heart. I really can see the heart in the movie. It may not have been his absolute best. He's definitely he's had some good ones. His work on the ABCs of Death was really really good. Um, and there was another one. Uh, do 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 I think he was Tales from the Loop. Tales from the Loop. His work in that is fantastic. But I always remember him because when I heard it was Ty West that directed this, I was like, holy shit. That's the dude who got shot in the eye with a crossbow, and you're next. The, the first kill in that movie was Ty West. He was like, yeah, and he, he's in there. He's, he's in there playing like the 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 pretentious. You know, I do documentaries. You know, <laughs> just, just like oh, he's just being a dick. And he's like, hey, what's that? Boom, crossbow shot. Okay, we Done. got it. <laughs> Done. Over. <laughs> See you later, Ty. <laughs> and so now we have we've we've talked about how this film pays homage to lots of like this so, a little bit from sixties, seventies, and eighties. Uh, excuse me. 
homage. <laughs> oh, <laughs> homage. Sorry. Sorry, pretty bitch. <laughs> and so, actually, I want to ask the audience, what is your favorite, what is your favorite homage that came out of this film? Um, we can talk about in terms of references of pizza and the Night of the Living Dead and some other ones, or even simply just the way it was shot, the cinematography on 16 millimeter. Let us know what your favorite homage is in the comments below or email us at weekendhorror at gmail.com. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you keep saying homage, and I keep thinking of uh, Eminem's rap god when he's like, pay homage, baby. Oh, <laughs> 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 All right. I, I almost said on. homage. We got we got one birthday this week, right? Oh Just yes, one. Yes, we got one this week, and that it's would a big be, one. It is. It really is. And we've got uh, Sir Peter Jackson, the man. <laughs> as the as myth Eugene the likes to say, the man, the myth, the legend. He was uh, <laughs> born born October thirty first, nineteen sixty one, which is actually very close to my dad's birthday. Happy birthday, Dad! Happy birthday, Mom! Both my parents' birthday this month. Happy birthday, guys! Happy birthday! Happy birthday! Happy birthday! Happy birthday. Woo. Okay, and so, happy birthday, Sir Peter Jackson. Many of you know him from one film and one film only. <laughs> this is a special. This is a special one because we 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 try to do birthdays um, every single episode, and we uh, we do like to shine kind of like a light on some of the lesser known like lesser known character actors or some of the people that you might not be aware of. But we do hit legends on occasion, um, and Peter Jackson obviously is one of the biggest ones. But the, this is also. The second time that we've had Peter's birthday on the show, that we've covered it. And it's so great that we've got Richard and Adam here. um, Because from your guys, okay, I want to know. I kind of want to go around the circle. Uh, When did you first discover Peter Jackson? Like, when did you first encounter him? I'll start with Richard. When did you first encounter him? Brian dead. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's dead alive to everybody in the States. So, uh, yeah, I didn't know that. Um, so my, I'm, I'm the youngest of the family. My sister is seven years older than me, and she had her boyfriend over, and he was like, you got to watch this film. <laughs> I saw the first scene where they're like, ah, Zingaya, and like hacking this guy up. And I was like, I want to see this. And I got booted away, and I just was begging to see this film. And I think it was another couple of years. I was about seven, eight when I got to see it. And yeah, I loved it. It was just amazing. And uh, I kick ass for the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> the lawnmower strapped to his chest. I love it, dude. The dinner table scene in that was nearly as bad as us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, Adam. When did you first discover Sir Peter Jackson? Um, I, I mean, Brain Brain Dead was second, but the the first thing I saw was. It can't have been long after it came out. It was probably around 98, which would have made me uh, 10. Um, The Frighteners. I think that was the first Peter Jackson film I saw. Um, And because not long before that, well, when I so when I was eight, so 96, which was when I when I saw uh, Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time, that was my first horror (laughs) film I ever saw. And that's what turned me on to to horror. but then I, I yeah, I eventually watched the, the Frighteners when it came. I think it was when it came out, and then I, I started discovering more stuff. And I take my dad would take me to the to the video rental store every week, and Brain Dead was one of the films amongst all these crazy eighties and I guess nineties horror films that, that we'd rent. So, but yeah, it would have been the Frighteners, and then I guess not long after the uh, Lord of the Rings came out. Nice. 
for those who don't know, um, in The Frighteners, the actor who played the judge was the original um, uh, Gomez Adams. Really? Yeah, that oh. was the original guy. That was the uh, the actor who played the original Gomez Adams in the original Adams Family. Yep. I was watching, like, I just started watching the first Adams Family with my girlfriend before I got on this podcast today. <laughs> I hadn't seen it in years. So uh, you're talking about the movie with Raul Julia and, or the, the original show? Oh, no, the movie, the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the original black and white show that ran alongside, that kind of ran alongside the Munsters. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, uh, uh, Lord, I might as well just name him. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm sitting here, I'm sitting here talking Research about it. corner like, with Jay. <laughs> and that's uh 19 that was 64 to 66 and that was john astin oh, okay that was john oh. astin who played it was really really cool to see him pop up just kind of all of a sudden because it was like holy shit that's gomez that's <laughs> <laughs> so um eugene first time you encountered you you found uh peter jackson's work it, it, so it sucks because I, I feel like I have to go the lame route because it would just be it would be Lord of the Rings. So I didn't get a chance to watch I didn't get a chance to watch Dead or Alive or uh, slash Brain Dead until probably about ten years ago on it. So, but I mean, it was just Lord of the Rings. I, I mean, it was just an amazing series. Um, I mean, what all can we say about Lord of the Rings and how that whole trilogy played out? And then on top of that, with I do love how Peter Jackson was like he said he got in the filmmaking to redo King Kong. It was like that was his ultimate goal. Was <laughs> he watched the 1970s version of King Kong and said it was so terrible that he was getting <laughs> the filmmaking to fix it, and that was his goal from the start. So, <laughs> so everything he did led up to where he did this. Like a, I think it's like a two, yeah, 2005 King Kong remake. Wait, I'm going <laughs> to spend hundreds of millions of New Lines money. To create a sweeping epic across three giant <laughs> films, and it's not my end goal. My end goal is to do the King Kong that will come after this. Yes. <laughs> wow, okay, cool. So he started in 76 with the goal. <laughs> oh my god. Um, Three Alex. years later. My, my ride with Peter Jackson has been something quite wild. So... I thought my first encounter with it was the Lord of the Rings that coming out in like 2001, you know, I was, I was pretty young when I saw it for the first time. Actually, I didn't even see it when it first came out. I, I don't think I saw it for probably four or five years after it came out. Um, and then, then I watched them all, but then I found out that I had seen a couple of his movies beforehand afterwards. Um, Heavenly creatures with Kate Winslet in it, her nice. debut movie that I think was my first movie that I saw with uh that had to do with peter jackson um because i know he directed wrote and produced that one um and then but before that even meet the feebles was one that i had seen yeah. before lord of the rings that i didn't even know i don't know which one was first i had seen meet the feebles and heavenly creatures around the same time so that was kind of my first technically i didn't even know it was my first encounter with peter jackson but then i found out that he had watched him again and i saw his name in the credits and i was like Oh, that's the Lord of the Rings guy. Like, oh my God, that's uh, holy shit. <laughs> but yeah, I think Heavenly Creatures came first. That was uh, that was one that he co-wrote with uh, Fran Walsh, his his partner. And uh, yeah, but that was uh, Kate Winslet. I remember because my parents were like, "This is Kate Winslet's first movie." But yeah, that was that was something else. I, I don't I don't remember much of it, but I remember that being a movie that I had seen. Wow. <laughs> the Lord of the Rings. You jumped on mine because my first encounter uh, with Peter Jackson was Meet the Feebles. That was the <laughs> first time I ever saw any of his work. And I was so 
the the concept of Sesame Street characters from Skid Row <laughs> blew my fucking mind. The, the shit that went on, and it just got, and it was so extreme. I couldn't tell if this was if this was meant to 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 do something or say something, or if this was like an indictment of some kind of the you know the film industry or indictment of. Something. All I know is that that was that, that was my entrance to Peter Jackson was a um, a puppet cat blowing a puppet walrus, you know, <laughs> under the desk, and a syphilitic rabbit throwing up all over everything. The hippo with the machine gun. And the hippo with the machine gun blowing <laughs> away every motherfucker around. That uh, that opening that opening scene of of her in that uh, in that giant hippo suit, you know, running. Out running, I was like, and I'm like, because it was Meet the Feebles. I was like, what the fucking movie is this? Because my friend was kind of like, hey, I got this crazy movie to watch. Let's do some drugs and watch it. And I was like, okay. So he's like, we throw the movie in and it starts just Meet the Feebles. Okay. And then I said, why is there a fucking hippo running down the sidewalk? This is real. Holy shit. This is a puppet movie. Oh my God. This is not for kids. And I love and I loved it to death because and I and I love the consistency of Peter Jackson in that the one that followed up after that was was Dead Alive. Oh my God, uh, this is the one film of all the uh, I've watched. Salo, I've watched 120 Days of Sodom, I've watched a Serbian film, and Dead Alive still makes me queasy every time. <laughs> That's there the one that gets to you. The fucking the fucking eating scene. Yeah. When her ear falls off in the goddamn custard. Oh, fuck me. I'm going to get sick. But anyway, there I, are. I, I like that this is. I'm sorry, because you bring this up. This is brought up many, multiple times on multiple podcasts, episodes that we've done. It, out of all of the things that we've talked about, out of all of the things that you've described that you've seen in your life, I can't believe that this is the movie that gets you the most. Because. I thought it was hilarious. I never really got super grossed out because of it. But then you talk about it like it was the most horrific. I don't know. I guess. We, I, I'm telling you, she, the mother is sitting there. She's sitting there. She's uh, duh, duh, like whatever. And then her fucking ear falls off <laughs> and lands in it. And she's like, um, dum, dum, dum. I, I almost lost my shit. I was. And I, I had to turn. It was so funny. And the, you know, she's like squeezing her fucking arm and spraying it. And the dude's like fucking eat. I was like, oh, come on, dude. <laughs> it was so gnarly. And it 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 left such a bad taste uh-huh. 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 in my mouth. But I there were things about it I loved. I loved the ass-kicking priest. I loved the 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 crazy fucking baby. I loved the the fucking intestines that were alive and running around. I don't where that comes from, I have no fucking clue. You know, there were, and of course, you know, him with the fucking you know, lawnmower on his chest. Oh, you know, that was brilliant. That's how you take on zombies. That's how you, that's how you win points. But yeah, it was Meet the Feebles that kicked it off for me. And it was just, and I love his continuity because you can see that there are cinematic or I would say there are camera techniques that Peter uses throughout. Mm. And you notice that the, the, the one that always stood out to me was in Dead Alive, he, he constantly, he, he frequently did the whole like the, 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 I've lost the term for it. It's where the camera zooms in really quick at a at kind of a Dutch angle to somebody's face. Mm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Like that quick zoom. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, but he does that in Lord of the Rings when Frodo puts the ring on for the first time at Weathertop and he sees the Nazgul for what they really are, for what they really look like in the spirit realm. That camera technique that zooms into their faces is like, ah, 
Ah, uh, that that whole kind of thing. He uses that constantly, and I love that technique. He yeah. obviously adores it. Dead as well. Um, there's a lot of strange camera techniques in Evil Dead that kind of remind me of similar things. Yes, yes, you are correct. Mm. Yes, the uh, the 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 quick shots into um, the quick zooms into uh, Bruce Campbell, into Bruce Campbell's character, into Ash. That's yeah. right. The only thing I can think of is uh, Kong Pao enter the fist. <laughs> Are we pulling the random lever tonight? <laughs> no, yeah, sorry, my my brain's going all over the place. But they do that like repeatedly over and over and over again, and just oh, when the, you're talking what, about it, what? yeah, it's like <laughs> and they're about to fight. <laughs> well, I think that's a little, that's a little bit different because in martial arts uh, in martial arts films or martial arts style films, the the quick zoom will be will be it'll be static. It'll be like boom, like right in your face, like boom. Whereas Peter Jackson does like kind of like this sweep into their face while zooming and into and always into a Dutch angle, I guess in order to, you know, get the Dutch angle being used to, a, you know, kind of express the the twisted nature of the character that it's zooming into um, or the twisted perception of the character it's zooming into. But I love the way Peter does it. It's very artistic. And I, I first saw that in, in uh, Meet the Feebles really a lot in uh, in Evil, in uh, sorry, in Brain Dead, uh, And then, of course, in Lord of the Rings, which I was like, hey, he used that same. Oh. Has he brought them back available? Because he he removed them, um, all his classic films from availability. And I'm not sure, has he brought them back yet? I do not know if they've been re-released. I really don't. Um, I own Meet the Feebles and Dead Alive and Bad Taste. Um, I got them early because I found that it was like, these are going in my collection. They have to. Um, you know, you know, I love seeing where you know repeat. I love seeing people's early work. When you guys are up there and you're like directing, you know, Final Destination Ten or whatever major thing you guys are doing, um, I'll remember hosts and hosts will be is in my collection. It is. It's in my digital collection currently. Oh, it will be in my physical collection soon. So, and I'll remember yeah. that. <laughs> Yeah, because oh, we, man, we oh, do. Man. We like we like to keep track. We like to follow along. So that way you use the same camera techniques. Like, I remember that. Okay. Oh, oh, I see. They they they've kind of they've kind of paid homage, uh, homage to the to the dinner table scene in House, where they've kind of, you know, the, where the camera's working here and they uh, ah, I see where they're going here. This is nice. <laughs> yeah. And you could be like, yeah, I, I liked them before, you know, before it was cool and before they sold out to the studios and <laughs> We had them on when they were cool. Now they're just a bunch of pretentious twats. <laughs> Directing Avengers 10. <laughs> my phone calls anymore. What's going on? <laughs> oh, God. I have, to, I have to say this. It's totally off topic, but you just really – they won't even take my phone calls. It was so funny. I met um, I met Norman Reedus and Sean Patrick Flannery uh, one time because I was I used to do press for a website. And I met them at a convention one time. got to sit down and talk with them. And they told this hysterical story. When, you know, because Norman Reedus, Sean Patrick Flannery, they never really, you know, like blew up like 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 giants. But, you know, Norman Reedus has got Walking Dead. Sean is still doing work here and there. But they never really exploded. They're mostly indie. And there was a there was a moment when they were shooting Boondock Saints 2. And the, and they were in a cab. They would finish shooting. They were going to go somewhere to like have a drink and just relax and chill out. And so in the cab, it was Sean Patrick Flannery. Norman Reedus was, you know, was sitting bitch. And over on the side is Clifton Collins Jr., and Clifton Collins Jr. has worked with everyone. So that man is like, you know, so many films. And, of course, he came and he did Boondock Saints too. He replaced uh, David Della Roca. And they're sitting there and they're trying to decide where they want to go. And they're just, you know, hammering back. But then all of a sudden Clifton's phone rings. Clifton gets on the phone. He's like, I was like, and he kind of does the whole like, one sec. 
And he's like talking. I was like, "Hey, how's it going?" Yeah, I was yeah, you know, blah blah like that. You know, and there's like, and both uh, Sean and Norm was like, "Who the fuck's he talking to?" Because he's talking you know, like, "Yeah, we know like this." Okay, yeah, you know, I'll talk to you later. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll talk later. Okay, hangs up the phone, puts his phone in his pocket, Statham. Yeah, <laughs> 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 always struck me that that you know you get those moments, and eventually you guys are going to be like, hey, oh, hang on, yeah, I can't, I'm, I got a meeting with, like, fucking Cameron and shit, he's got some, he, yeah, he's be talking to me. And we're like, okay. <laughs> that that will be the, the, the yeah, that'll be a strange day. If it ever comes. <laughs> that'll be a strange day. It's a lie, I reckon, we'll just have to write it in the thing, and it'll just be mum or something, and just be like, Statham. <laughs> too, too busy, guys, I'm talking to James. Oh, please. Hi, Mom. All right. <laughs> Please tell. Okay, I hope we have set a precedent here that in the future, when you guys are doing anything on air or like this, if a phone rings, you got to do like that one sec, Statham, and you got to just got to take it, just go. <laughs> Done. So, um, so guys, thank you so much for joining us this week. It has been an absolute blast having you both on. Um, this is the first show that we've had two people, two special guests on at the same time, and this has been fucking amazing. We got to do it more often. I want to give you guys the opportunity. Do you have anything coming up or any social media that you guys would like to let our listeners know where they can follow you or, or check out? Um, anything you've got? I mean, I guess we've got, we've got Fright Fest this weekend. I don't know if that's going to count for you guys in the U.S. because it's all geo-locked. Um, uh, we're currently working on three different scripts for new films depending on who 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 flashes the cash and what wants to do what which big studio wants to ruin which... <laughs> ruin out Warner Brothers yeah. Sony if you're listening <laughs> we invite any of you to fuck our shit up <laughs> <laughs> um, you'll go with kind of like um this kind of stuff um yeah okay well um well yeah no just just to touch on what you said Rich yeah we got Two two scripts written um, uh, for two feature length films, and in the in the process of writing a third, um, and yeah, just looking for the right people to fund it, and whoever wants to do what in terms of what genre. Um, yeah, we're screening at Fright Fest uh, this Saturday, the twenty fourth of October at nine forty five p.m. If there are any UK listeners, um, hit us up on Twitter. Uh, hosts, uh, it's at Hosts Movie. Uh, the film is out now in the US and Canada. And yeah, you can see our socials and stuff like via Host Movie because uh, that's all we're posting about because we've got a film to promote. And oh, yeah, and we are. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, man. We're, I forgot about that. We're actually selling some limited edition hosts. Uh, hold on. Ugh. Limited edition hosts, T-shirts and hoodies, which, uh, well, no one apart from the five people in here can see right now but <laughs> but limited edition host hoodies and t-shirts um, oh it's yeah. got the fucking i saw it online i, I didn't catch the hammer yeah yeah <laughs> I, I didn't catch the hammer because i saw the when the hoodies popped i was like oh cool they're selling hoodies that's neat and i didn't it, it, it was on my phone so it was small but now i'm seeing it full screen it's like holy shit that's the fucking hammer like, oh <laughs> one one thing and this is going to sound ridiculous uh but one thing that i noticed earlier when we were talking about this um with someone else is that the hammer is the T, right? <laughs> Which is perfectly yes. placed over the teat. 
Uh. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, if, if anyone wants to pick up one of these limited edition uh, T-shirts or hoodies, there are only a few left. Um, somehow we've managed to vlog most of them. So if you want to pick one of, one of them up, go to uh, www.hostsmovie.bigcartel.com and uh, yeah, grab one while you can. And I think, I think that's all the socials, I think, that I can remember off the top of my head. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you to all of our listeners. This has been awesome. It was really good to have you guys on. Um, check us out at weekendhorror.net. You can go on there and sign up for our email list. We won't spam you, we promise. It just puts your email in for a drawing that we do every month for a mystery t-shirt. So after you go and pick up some of the limited edition host gear, you can go on there and put yourself in for a mystery horror shirt. You can find all of our episodes, all the links to our episodes on there, as well as uh, our bios and just some fun stuff. You can contact us through there as well. Uh, contact us. Please let us know. Feedback, comments, questions, concerns. We know you've got concerns about JL's well-being. I do too. <laughs> Hit us up at weekendhorror at gmail.com. Send, uh, send all your fun stuff there. We're always, we're always there, always listening. One of us will get with you. Uh, check out our Daily Splatter on Facebook and Twitter at Weekend Horror. Daily Splatter is a little tidbit of horror knowledge every day for you. Uh, you can also check us out on our YouTube channel at Weekend Horror. Uh, we've put up all of our, I think we're up to date on our episodes, as well as our season one finale is on there, our live stream. That was fun. Yeah. Uh, you can check us out on there, comment on there. We'll constantly be watching that as well. If you like what we're doing here, if you want to help us out, support us a little bit, we've got a Patreon, patreon.com slash weekendhorror. You can go on there and get a little bit of extra content. We will be adding more content soon when we can figure out how, how, what, when, where, why. But uh, you can get our bloodbaths on there, which we do a monthly bloodbath, which is two horror icons that we pit against each other in a formal debate to the death. Find out who will win. We just did our Winchesters and Salvatore's episode which was fun that was the first one we've ever done a, a twofer we're doing a lot of twofers huh guys we've got brothers on one and oh my god it's twofers in 2020 check it out yeah go check that out it's a lot of fun we, we we get on here we debate and jail usually kicks our asses and then when me and eugene go up against each other we don't know how to play because jail's completely traumatized us in all these debates <laughs> it's it's been a lot of fun so go check those out you get early access to all of our blood baths and our after darks which is where we take the the guests that we have captured and sat down and talked to and kind of get more into the intimate level of talking about stuff going on in the industry their feelings of how things are going their thoughts on uh their movies and other movies and uh, it's it's little short tidbits of uh, getting to know these special guests. We've had we've had a lot of pretty cool special guests on here, and and this this after dark is going to be something else because we've got we've got two doing two at the same time. <laughs> double whammy. Also, at, least, at least the kind of special guests that double up on a dude like me. <laughs> <laughs> also, we've got our uh, our Discord up now, where you can go in here. The community has come together, and you can chit chat. We've got just you know your generic chat. You can go on there and play trivia. I mean, you can go on there and talk shit about JL. I think I think uh, I haven't seen Jessica in there for a while, but. Uh, yeah, and Eugene needs to get in there. I think we're going to do a week of Eugene. I think we need to get him in there and just have him be the face of Weekend Horror for a while. <laughs> I haven't oh, no. seen him. 
it's on you now, but but yeah, come come to the Discord, talk to us. We're we're here. It's it's constantly uh, this whole podcast thing has been insane because it's not just Facebook. It's Facebook, Twitter, Discord. You know, we've got the the YouTube that we got to keep up on now. So one of us is always in there. If you if you want us to specify, we can. But just just look at us as weak and horror as a whole. <laughs> I had no and, idea. Uh, I tell you when I when we started this thing, I had no idea how it would take over my life. I really really didn't. I was like, yo, we're going to have some fun. We're going to like shoot a fucking podcast. Yay, we're podcasters. Holy shit. We get, you know, we get emails and stuff and it'll pop up on my phone and I'll go in and it's, you know, it's already six emails in. And I'm like, oh, JL's got some time on break today. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. It's it's like, it's not because it's not just, I don't mind the social media like this, but I was like, we're going to have fun. And Eugene was very much like, sure, I'll do, I'll do your podcast. It'll be like, you know, we'll do a few episodes and then it's going to, my Eugene impression is terrible. And so we're going to do a few uh, episodes, and, you know, it'll be fun, and we'll just kick on. It's like, so uh, over a year later, 57, <laughs> 58 episodes in, uh, 10 bloodbaths, 10, av- now to be 11 bloodbaths, 10 of, yeah, it's it's kind of taking on a life of its own now. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it's insane. But we, I mean, we keep up as best as we can, and it's been really awesome talking to you guys. It, it just, the fan base has been, has been incredible. You guys are the best. I, we were talking about our Patreon and stuff. If you guys want to jump in on that, it's great. Like I said, it's it's early access, but I believe how are we doing? The month previous becomes live to everybody. Is it one yeah, month? Yeah, behind? yeah. The uh, people on the people on our Patreon get our bloodbaths and our after darks um, uh, first. They get access to those first, and then a month later they go live because okay, we yeah, don't want to just yeah. you know pigeonhole people. So no, but we yeah, will yeah. have we will have Patreon con Patreon specific content. Patreon only content coming very very soon. I know I don't I don't want to bring up uh, any specifics on that because we haven't really we haven't really put it down on one thing or another. But we've got some ideas and I think you guys are going to like it. Yeah. So, and we've got tiers in there as low as one dollar. You can you can help out for one dollar a month, and we understand if you can't. It's it's been a rough year for everybody involved, but uh, your your continued support on our show listening every week has been fantastic you guys are awesome thank you so much for everything that you guys have contributed to us because we wouldn't be here without you guys so thank you so much to our listeners check us out on all of the social media overwhelm the shit out of jl and come back and see us next week i'm alex i'm jl and i'm eugene and i want to give our chance for our special guests to sign off as well i'm rich (laughs) and i'm adam And we'll see you next week. And as always, stay scared. (laughs) 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 She's got to get in on everything.